Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Susan, if you are here, can you make sure to press 1? I'm not seeing your cell phone number here. I did open it up to a 845 number. This must not be you. Let's see if one of these ones. Is this you? No. And we'll try one more. Is this you, Susan? All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Let's see if we can uh, get Susan on here. We'll call her cell phone. Hello? 
Sorry about this. I'm not really quite sure what Susan is up to. Let's see. Spirit of the Blood says, come to me in the form of a beautiful and singing woman. Oh, is this you, Susan? Are you there? Oh, my goodness. What is going on? That was her voicemail. So sorry about this, everyone. Let's see if we can get Susan on here. Are you there, Susan? Let's try this one more time. Spirit of the Blood says, come to me in the form of a beautiful. All right, there we go. Are you there? Hey, Rebecca, hi. Hi. Oh, so good to hear your voice. I was trying to get through, but there was a little complication there. So welcome to the blog talk show. Every time I would nearly get every time I would nearly get through to you, you would call and it would end my call. Oh. I didn't see your your number in the queue, so I, I tried calling. I, I was well, I was trying to call, but your call to me kept me from calling. Odd. Well you're here now. I'm happy you're here. <laughs> and you're in the I'm, northwest. And I'm here in the northwest, yes. We're um, over by Port Townsend on the peninsula. Nice. Mm-hmm. We've, we've just we've just been out to Nash's Organic Farm. Yeah, and there are a lot of beautiful farms out there, huh? Really fantastic, just amazing, and it's had a lovely day, of course, as usual, and. Uh, Ate my required blackberries. I don't know. I'm just in the Northwest unless I eat blackberries, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot right now. You came at the right time of the year for that. For sure. And I'm looking forward mm-hmm. um, in an hour and a half to talking to Rivera Sun. Sounds like a fascinating woman. She is the editor of the weekly Nonviolent News. And she has written some very interesting books, especially one called The Dandelion Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Do so you happen to have Do you happen to have an earpiece that you could put in that has like a little microphone on it just to make the call just a little bit clearer? I don't, I'm sorry. Okay. 
it is a little, it's just a little choppy, but. It is a little bit choppy. We're actually in a car driving back onto the ferry. Oh, okay. I see. So we'll, we'll do the best we can. We'll right? make the best of it. Okay, good. <laughs> what are you up to? Okay. We have a lot of people on the line. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1. Did you ask me what I've been up to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's been a busy, busy summer out here for for me and um yeah, what have I've been uh, just working, doing uh, some stuff with my Etsy shop today, um, filling orders and um, getting. I've been working with some tallow over the this summer, just like doing lots of different stuff with tallow and infused um, herbs into tallow. And just I had a really nice uh, surprise with some of the tallow I've been working with at, for pain. And um, I have some comfrey tallow that I just uh, that I put some self heal in, and um, some clary sage, and it has been so relieving on my neck. It was like it was done in the perfect time for me after I've like exhausted all these other things that I would usually, you know, that I usually try, like including acupuncture and massage, and nothing was working. And I get this comfrey on there, and I was just like, wow. It just within like 24 hours, and then today is the second day I've been putting it on there, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah, it was about 15 years ago that I first got it. And our ancestors used vegetable oil. They didn't have vegetable oil; they used animal fat. And in that 15 yeah. years of talking to people about that, every indigenous person that I had talked to had said things to me on the order of, "Well, of course, vegetable oil." is not natural to the human body and can't really go into the body the way animal fat does. The, mm-hmm. the, the Aboriginal women in Australia said to me that they used to make their ointments from kangaroo fat and that the kangaroo fat took the healing power of the herb all the way into the bone marrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's going so deep. I even feel like it's like, you know, it's going into, because it's in my neck, I feel like it's like going into my nerves and into my brain. I can just like feel it going so deep and like it's so restorative. I'm just like, it's really relaxing too to um, have it on there because I think it was, you know, stress induced. So it just has that extra component of relieving stress and also um, healing, like, the muscle, because I think it was, like, a muscle. my muscle was inflamed back there. And, um, yeah, so it's really, really, really nice. Because the animals love us and want to take care of us. And it's so I so appreciate you making tallow-based ointments available to people. Generally, once people start make, make, using ointments based on animal fat, they don't go back to vegetable oil because the difference is really big yeah yeah I've been making more and more it's like every year I make (laughs) more and more because it's such a yeah and like each one has such different properties you know it's like I I tried to use the hypericum one on my neck and it was like not doing the trick and then the comfrey gets ready and it's like oh my gosh it's like such a difference what the different you know oils capable of and how they they work so yeah 
Yeah, super I thankful. Feel, feel, Thank you. I feel, like the, <laughs> I feel like the hypericum oil, because hypericum we're all often using, um, like as a sunscreen, where the oil is the easier. Or, for instance, if there's shingles, I don't want to put a ointment on shingles. I just want the oil because I don't want to rough up the skin in any way. That was a little choppy. That last part. What did you? What was that last part you said? I said that I like the hypericum oil when somebody has shingles because the ointment can actually make the skin a little. It can rough up the skin. You know, it's a little hard to put on. Oh right, right, like, yeah. So the skin's a little broken. So I like the hypericum oil in that situation. I usually use the animal fat. The way you're using them is the skin's unbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it for the unbroken skin, too. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I do, I, yeah, for, like, um, a plantain, I really like that in animal fat for, like, fungal, like, uh, foot infections and stuff like that. That's, like, really, that's really nice, too. And the skin will be a little bit kind of broken up sometimes for that and, like, you know, scabbed and stuff when there's a fungal infection. All right. Well, if you're if you're there, oh, no, her call dropped. <laughs> okay. Well, we will wait for her to call back in. And I guess since we have a minute here, I will take the time to uh, talk about my Etsy store for a minute and let you all know that you can find that um, some tallow balms that I have, some hypericum tallow balm, and also that um, the comfrey, I call it the healer heal thyself balm. And you can find that at my Etsy store, which is at www.etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness. So if you're interested, I have lots of good stuff there and um, please check it out. And we'll see if Susan comes back on here to join us. And if not, I'm not sure what we're going to do for tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I am afraid to call her back because she might not be able to get through. Hmm. Well, our guest tonight is also going to be talking about um, her novels that she's written, including a novel called The Dandelion Insurrection and The Way Between, and her most uh, recent release is The Lost Air. And she lives in an Earthship house in New Mexico, which is really cool. And um, she has a publication called The Nonviolent News. So I bet she is a student of nonviolent communication, which is always interesting to me to learn more of the principles that stand behind nonviolent communication. 
I've never really fully grasped it, but I have never taken a course. My partner has, and he is a wonderful communicator. Here, let's try Susan, see if we can get through. Oh, here we go. Okay, there, Susan. Okay, you found me. Hooray. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Be going in and out of uh, cell range, but uh, we're at four bars right now, so we might want to just find a place like here and hang so that we get better reception. That's what we're going to do instead of going down the road, okay? Is that okay with you, Rebecca? Okay, good. All right. Let's take the first caller, okay? Okay, sounds good. The first caller is coming from the 907 area code. All right. Hi. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, I called you a couple weeks ago about the smoke in Alaska. Yes. And about my about my lungs. Well, it turns out the fire started up again. It's really bad. It's smoke everywhere, and I'd like to know what I can do this time to protect my lungs. And then I have another question. Okay, so what did you do last time? Last time you told me to take the mullein and milk and like make a golden milk kind of mixture with cinnamon and turmeric and stuff like that, and I did that, and it worked. Good. And then you well, mentioned alcohol pain, could do that and again. I just – that again. There's no do that again. The, there's no limit to the amount of mullein you can drink. Oh, good. I, I like that. That's, that's pretty pretty damn tasty. Isn't it so? Really, mullein milk is wonderful. <laughs> and for those who are saying, what's mullein milk – um, I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube of me making mullein milk or Justine making mullein milk. It's basically a mullein infusion mixed half and half with milk. And if you want to add chai spices to the milk when you warm it up, it makes mullein chai. It's delicious, as you say. Okay, so that's, okay. that's and it's, good. That's to me, good advice. To me, mullein is just such a strong herb for protecting the lungs and taking care of the lungs. And if it worked before, I would say go with that again. Okay, perfect. My second question is, um, I have 40 acres, but my drive, I have a a dirt driveway, and, you know, there's no one on it, but someone bought the property, like, off to an angle of my property, and uh, I met the guy, and it turns out, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Turns out, you know, I met the guy, and I thought he was really strange because the way he, like, shook my hand. Well, he's coming up, like, in a few weeks, and it turns out he's a preacher. And I'm really having a hard time with the fact that he's going to be cutting these trees, and he's a preacher, and I wish I could... I, I can't handle it. I I I don't know. Don't know what to do. I I'd like to All right. somewhere, I'm, but I'm, why I'm should like I? To you, I'm going to give you one of my very very best spells. 
and this spell works every single time, but I'm going to tell you up front, you will not like it. I will you, not like it? You will not like what I am about to say. You will not like this spell. You will be reluctant to do it, but I will tell you, if you do it, it will absolutely work. Okay. All right. And do you know this person's name? I don't know his name. All right. It would make it a little more effective if you knew the person's name, but you don't have to. What you're going to do is you're going to get a very clear image of this person. This is why the name helps. You say the name, it helps you get an image of the person. It really calls that person because we're so sensitive to our name. And what you well, are going I can to probably get his name. I, I can get the name. Yeah. So, and have you seen him? Yes. I just saw him that one time, and he just. All right. Well, you're going to coming up. So, your best to remember the handshake and the face and the name. Get as clear an image of you can as you can of this person, and then you are going to give this person all of the very best things that are available. You're going to put this person on a throne. You're going to give them a crown. You are going to bring wonderful music to them. You are going to bring gems to them. You are going to bring delicious ripe fruit to them. You are going to bring flowers to them. Do you get the idea? Yes. You are going to lavish this person with all of the very best that you can think of. Mm-hmm. And it will change your relationship. And it will change how that person relates to you. And the, one of the reasons say that it's 100% successful is that really, who's living in your head? Right. The, the answer is you. You are living in your head. And if you're going to allow into your head thoughts, this person's weird, this person's a creature, I don't like this person, you have to live with those thoughts. Right. And that hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. So if you change that to envisioning this as a royal being, a magnificent being, someone who you are going to give all the best to, then you live with that, and that already is a success because you are now living in a much happier mind. Yes, you're right about <laughs> thinking. At the... No, I was thinking of hanging some things on his property, but, uh, yeah, you're right. It's better off doing no, it that way. No, you do not then. want to do that. You don't want to live there. I know. I know. I know. If someone treats us poorly and we treat them poorly, then we have, they've won. Right. Right. The only, the only real advantage we have is when someone treats us poorly, whether it's true or not, is to treat them better. To be kinder, to be more loving, to be more generous, not to be less. Because you ultimately have to live with you and your actions and thoughts. Right. Right? You're right. Did you say you had a second okay. question? Or was that the that second was, question? That was it. That was there was a moment, oh, you know, for my lungs and this question. So that that's all I have for you tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Green blessings.
Hey, Rebecca. Yeah, the sound is much better, by the way. Indeed. We've pulled off to the side of the road here because I got four bars. And we are mm-hmm. on our way back over to the ferry. So I'll answer maybe another question or two. And then, depending on Miriam and Richard, if they feel like we want to get back on the road, we'll get back on the road and do a little erratic stuff. And then we get another good bar. Maybe we'll pull, pull off. We'll see how it goes. Yeah? Okay. Sounds good. All right. The good. next caller is coming from the 860 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Hello. Good Hello. evening. Hi. Um, I do have a quick question, so I know you're on the road and you want to get going. Um, I'm a 54-year-old. Well, you know what? It doesn't uh, matter how long or how quick your question is because I'm here on this blog talk show for two hours. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, So I'm a 54-year-old menopausal woman having the typical uh, menopausal symptoms and dealing with those as they come. But I had an odd episode about a month ago. Um, I noticed that I I had a little episode that I noticed like a month ago where one of my breasts leaked a little bit of clear water. And I tried to look in my menopause book. I do have yours. I looked through other books. I'm also an acupuncturist. I, I tried even looking through my school book. I couldn't really find anything that sounded right to me as to why I would have a little bit of water coming out of just one um, nipple. <laughs> and it's not a lot. It's, but if I, if I were to like squeeze on it, I could get like a drop or two. And it seems to have the timing is along with my not getting my period and my hot flashes. It's all about that same time. You know, I do not get a sense that this is a symptom of something serious that you need to take care of. Do you? Okay. No, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. So why don't, why don't we just ignore it? Okay. I almost wondered if it was emotional because I do have some, I had two children, uh, one in the 80s and then uh, another child in 2001, and and I was not supported through nursing, and and I struggled a lot, Um, and I think I have some guilt around that, Um, so I wondered if it was almost like that sort of thing, like an emotional, like how we cry tears kind of thing. We cannot separate our emotions from our mental state or our physical state. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my gripes about so-called holistic health, body, mind, and spirit. As soon as it's body, mind, and spirit, it's not holistic anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you say it's emotional, I'm not sure where that takes you. Uh, but if it takes you to a place of being kinder to yourself and loving yourself more, then I would support that. If it, mm-hmm. takes you okay. to a place, if it takes you to a place of blame and shame and guilt, then I would not support that. Okay. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Okay. Right. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Blame and shame and guilt go nowhere except around and around and around, digging you into a rut. Correct. So we want to love ourselves and accept ourselves as we are now, as we were in the past, and as we may be in the future. We, We are not, and no one ever will be perfect. 
You can let yourself right. off that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I appreciate okay. it. Yes, thank thank you. Um and, okay. and thank you, Rebecca, for your products. I ordered a bunch of things and I love everything. So thank you very much, both of you. And and then the other thing oh, I thank would you. say is Dandelion Dandelion has a great affinity for making the breast healthier. Great. Okay. All right, I will do that. In a tincture in a tincture, would you say, or oil? Not on the oil. Any part of dandelion prepared in any way will be an effective remedy. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate it. Have a safe trip, and thank you both. You're welcome. Green blessing. Thanks. Bye-bye. Green blessing. Shall I do one more and we get on the road, or are you happy being here? I'm happy. Happy? Happy enough? Okay. All right. Next caller is coming from the 978 area code. Thank you. Is that me? Is that me? Hi. Hello. Um, I just have a few questions about the edibility of some plants, some pretty pure plants here. Um, One of them is called common hemp nettle, which is uh, Galapagos tetrahit. Where are you living? What was that? Where are you on the planet? I'm in Massachusetts. You're in Massachusetts. And it, something is called what metal? Um, hemp metal. Like hemp as in like cannabis, but it's not cannabis. It's hemp metal. So okay. Bristle stem and, hemp metal is another word for a name for it. And do, you, and do you know what family the plant is in? Um, I think it's in a lamin. How do you pronounce that? Laminaceae family. Family. Lam- Lamiaceae. That's the mint family. There are no poisonous plants in the mint family. You say mint. The mint family is the Lamiaceae family, formerly the Labiatae, and there are no poisonous plants in that family. Oh, okay. Um, the plant that the plant that I know is hemp nettle is a mint and can be eaten, but nobody would because it's just kind of bland and and unscented and not very interesting, which could. Okay, so it's safe then. It's totally safe. It's just boring. That's the reason why I ask is because you know I was looking up if it was edible or not, and um. Oh no, a lot it's not nettle. Not it's not even related to nettle at all. Oh, I said edible. Oh, edible. I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, all the articles say, oh yeah, it's it's safe to eat and blah blah blah, and then at the bottom it's like, oh, but uh, there's one study that says it's um, toxic and can cause paralysis. I do not know of any plant in the mint family that's toxic. Yeah, it's, it's like very this long. One- it's a very, very large family. It includes things like, of course, mint and catnip, lavender, rosemary, thyme, oregano, basil, motherwort. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it uh, seems to be like one study done in uh, Russia from like the 60s. And I can't, I can't even uh, It just says, you know. I sincerely doubt that it was an actual study, and if it was a study, then I guarantee you it wasn't a study of people eating the plant. Mm-hmm. It's like the so-called study that proved that sassafras was poisonous, in which they took the 
most poisonous part of the sassafras, concentrated it, and then injected it into rats, and the rats had ill effects. Does that mean that drinking sassafras tea would cause that? Absolutely not. Just put it away. Right. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was like the medical mafia, basically, people getting involved. I don't think it had, I don't I don't think it was a medical study of any kind. I sincerely yeah. doubt it's a medical study. Because yeah. it's not a plant that has constituents that would be of interest to the medical profession. Yeah. Right. Well I guess I guess I'll try it and never And I will it. also te- I will also tell you that in general I discourage my students from using the internet to find out about plants. It's the world's worst place to find out about plants. <laughs> Really? Yeah, you'll, get right more, you'll get more inf- misinformation on the internet than good information. Yeah. And if and if you must look on the internet, then I would say use really trusted sources like Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wikipedia? No, that's the worst. As I said, but at least there's some oversight. Yeah. Yeah. People can just go on there and edit. That's free will. People um, right. That's what I mean. If something's wrong, somebody else can edit it out. Whereas on the oh, other yeah. side, it happens. Yeah. Anyhow, you had I, some other plants you wanted to ask about. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um, the next one is hairy vetch. Vetch is in the pea family. Would you eat green bean leaves? Oh, I have no idea. Would I? <laughs> Would you? No, you would not. Oh, no. No. No, in general, this is a problematic family. The seeds of the pea and bean family are frequently eaten like peas and soybeans and peanuts, like chickpeas. But the leaves generally do not work in human gut, and even many people have a problem with the beans, don't they? Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. In In this family, medicinal plants include astragalus, which is the root of a plant in this family, red clover and alfalfa. But there's not a lot of members of this family that are used medicinally. Yeah, okay. So I would say enjoy the hairy vetch. It has a pretty flower. Yeah, it definitely is. And Um, it's it's very rare that a plant with a pretty flower, for that flower to be poisonous. Because pretty flowers are there to attract pollinators, and you don't get, you know, you don't get on in the world if you poison your pollinator. Yeah. Right? Right, so I thought you were saying so it was, in, it was even, problematic. Even, even absolutely poisonous flowers, like the flowers from Vinca Minor, I eat. I just eat them in small amounts. Like I say, pick some Vinca flowers for the salad, but no more than two per person. Right. So are you saying it is? I'm saying that the flowers may be in small amounts. They won't kill you, but they may give you gas or an upset stomach. Oh, okay, right, right. As beans might do to anyone, right? Right. Yeah. I I, I try to find, like, you know, all over the Internet uh, places talking about it. Whether it's safe or not, I, it says the uh, plant has some cyanamide in it. Not cyanide, but cyan. 
amide with an M in like the end, which apparently is an alleochemical. Uh, Most plants contain between 600 and 1,200 different constituents. If you want to know the constituents in any particular plant, James Duke, Dr. James Duke, has a website which lists the constituents in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plants. James Duke. Okay, you are, thanks for You understand that cherry pits are poisonous and peach pits are poisonous and apple seeds are poisonous, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that a plant has a part that's poisonous, I mean, rhubarb root will poison you, but we eat the rhubarb, doesn't mean that you, what I'm saying specifically is do not eat the hairy veg itself, but if you wish to, you can try eating one or two of the flowers, no more than that, on a daily basis. Okay. And it won't be for very long because it doesn't bloom for a really long time. Yeah, I think it's probably over now, actually. But... Um, all right, and I think I just have one more question, which is, um, what are your favorite tonic herbs for, like, modulating the uh, immune system? And specifically, like, of the Northeast, like, what are your favorite herbs of the Northeast for that? You know, American herbalists have truly embraced astragalus. It's an adaptogenic herb from China. As I said, it is the root of a plant in the and bean family. And I think of it as Asian slippery elm. It's very soothing. It's sweet tasting. I buy astragalus both as the sticks of the root, which is the standard form. It's sold in. It looks rather like tongue depressors. And as a powder. And I mix astragalus powder into things like hummus or beans or uh, breakfast cereals like granola. And I cook the sticks of astragalus in things like tomato sauce or soup. Stephen Booner, in his book Healing Lime, uh, did us all a very great favor by reminding us that astragalus primes the immune system to resist Lyme disease. So that if you have a lot of astragalus in your system and you're bitten by a tick, then you're far less likely to get Lyme disease than if you were not using that astragalus. Yeah, I definitely uh, read that book over and over again. So that's a great, great tonic herb. Dandelion, of course, is one of the world's best tonics. It is fantastic for all aspects of the body, especially the liver. And the liver, to my mind, Although it's the liver and it does deliver things, it is also part of the immune system. Mm-hmm. To think of the immune system just as, you know, natural killer cells and macrophages and so on, is to really limit our view of the immune system because the lymphatic system is part of the immune system too. Hmm. So once we expand and understand that the immune system as we think of it, is really just the working parts, but the really structural parts of the lymphatic liver, then I think we have a better idea how to strengthen immunity. It's interesting. I know that. Uh, What do you think about... Burdock, of course, course, is used all over the world, wherever it grows, as a great aid to the immune system. 
that people hardly ever talk about the immune system aspect of burdock. They're more likely to tell you, oh, burdock will clear your skin. Well, how's it doing that? It's doing that through the immune system. Oh, burdock will get rid of cancer. How's it doing that? It's doing it through the immune system. Awesome. I don't want to cut you off again. Yeah. Do you have any other? You can read more about both burdock and dandelion in my green book, Healing Wands. Okay. Um, What was that book called again? Healing Wise. Healing Wise. Just a quick question about the dandelion. Um, What do you think about, like, confusions of uh, the dried dandelion? Are they good or... If you're willing to drink something that bitter, then go for it. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, I'm willing. I prefer to make dandelion leaf vinegar, dandelion root vinegar, dandelion flower vinegar. I prefer to cook dandelion leaves and eat them with lots of garlic. I prefer to make dandelion root tincture or dandelion root and leaf tincture. Those are the dandelion remedies that I find that I use most. But I have met other people who are not as, um, I don't know, I don't like bitter taste. I don't drink coffee. Coffee is far too bitter for me. I don't understand how people enjoy it. It's really bitter. So I do not have a great craving for bitter taste, but I have friends who do, and they do dandelion root infusion. Okay. Well, uh, those are my questions, so thanks for answering them. You're welcome. Please bless it. Okay, bye. All right, the next caller is coming from the 805 area code. Hello? I think if we go further along, here we'd be away from the desk. Hello, is that me? Hi, yes, it yes. is. No, Hello, my name is Helen. Well, we can go yeah, a little Hi, what's up tonight? We're just going to move a little um, further question- down. I don't know if you can hear them, but there's dogs barking at us. My question to you is, I actually um, had a friend refer me to this blog last week, so I listened in, and she was telling me to call in and ask. I've been having a lot of physical pain lately. I'm, um, I have sciatica I've had since about 2012, and I do yoga, and I'm pretty healthy, but I was having pain that I never had before in, like, my hands and my elbow, knees, my ankles, and my feet. It was just really strange, and it came out of the blue within the last, I'd say, month. Like, periodically, I'll have these pains, and I, I didn't know what was going on. And she's like, call in and ask. She'll give you all kinds of things that will help you. So you said that you've, you've had sciatic pain. Yes. And you've had that sciatic pain for seven years. Yes. I mean, it's not continuous, but yes, that's when it began seven okay, years I'm ago. Glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it's not continuous. Usually with a sudden kind of onset of pain in various areas of the body, the first thing I think of is inflammation. That's, the, yeah. and that's exactly so, what I thought. Yeah. And so the first thing that I suggest to people who are dealing with inflammation is is that they get rid of all pepper from their diet. Oh, my gosh. It's funny that you say that because I love pepper. Okay, no pepper. You're doing yourself in. Okay, no pepper. 
And that means no jalapeno, no cayenne, no chili peppers, no curry, no barbecue with pepper in it, no green bell peppers, no red peppers, I mean no pepper. You don't mean just black, you mean everything, okay. I mean everything, no pepper. People who do this often tell me that their pain goes away in 10 to 12 days. Okay. And I ask people, I say, how does your mouth feel when you eat pepper? I mean, it feels good. I like, I, it's fiery, but... Then it's fiery, inflamed. <laughs> your mouth feels inflamed when you eat pepper, yes? Yes, but then I salivate and so tell you myself have I decided want that You have decided that inflamed is good. You've decided that you're going to call inflamed in pain good. I understand oh, no. that. But it's not, is it? No. If someone were to hold a match to your hand, would you call that pain good? No. Well, that's what you're doing to your entire digestive system. Okay. And I suspect you've been doing that for a long time. Yes. One of the major reasons that people put more and more pepper in their food is because they are not eating adequate amounts of animal protein. Most likely, yes, that sounds about right. Long-term vegans, long-term vegetarians run into these problems as they age because their body no longer has the necessary fat, and because the taste buds die, then people want pepper in order to be able to taste their food. So it's kind of a one-two punch. So the first step is to get rid of the pepper, and then the second step is to get more animal fat and animal into your diet. What sources of animal fat are currently in your diet? Um, fish and chicken. Full fat yogurt. Butter. Oh, butter, yes. I'll have butter occasionally. Good. Good. The ideal right now to quell this pain and this inflammation is to have animal fat at least three times a day. Okay. So butter on your toast, fish for dinner, and eat for lunch, right? Yes. I'm not saying you have to eat meat three times a day. I'm saying you need animal fat. Okay. Okay? Now, there are also plenty of herbs that are anti-inflammatory. You can use those as well. Just eliminating the pepper will do it on its own. Adding the animal fat really makes it better, faster, deeper. But I love linden infusion as an anti-inflammatory. Are you currently drinking nourishing herbal infusion? No, I'm not. That's why I think my friend told me to um, call in is because she's been doing this for many years and tried to talk me into it. But she's like, call in, you'll get the answers. I know she told me about some different herbs to try, and I just I've never done that. Right. Nourishing herbal infusions are a daily way to make sure that you are getting well-nourished and that your immune system is well-nourished and it's not going to fly off the handle and release lots of histamines, which causes inflammation. I rotate through five herbs, stinging nettle, red clover, oat straw, 
Comfrey Leaf and Linden. And the last two, both Comfrey Leaf and Linden, are wonderful anti-inflammatory. I would say that Linden is probably, oh, six to ten times more effective as an anti-inflammatory than turmeric. Wow. I take turmeric paste every day, Linden. It's not going to do a thing for you, that turmeric paste. It's simply not going to do a thing, is it? I mean, I try to tell myself it will, but it hasn't. I'm telling you, turmeric doesn't work for Americans. Then I'll stop making that. (laughs) There's actually pepper in it, too. (laughs) And I was going to say, and most people put pepper in with their turmeric, and so they're really driving inflammation. (laughs) Okay, so I'll look up those five, five herbs and the nourishing herbal infusions. But I don't use them together. And you can go to okay. YouTube and you see me making nourishing herbal infusions. Start with linden. You'll need a scale. You'll weigh out half an ounce of linden. Put it in a quart jar. Fill the jar to the top with boiling water. Put a lid on it. Let it keep for four hours or overnight. Strain it. Refrigerate it. Drink it hot or cold, whatever you like. The goal is to drink between two and four cups a day. Two to four cups a day. And you don't need to drink that every single day. If you drink linden three or four days out of the week, that's plenty. Okay, and then when you strain it, what do you do with those herbs? I usually put them in my compost pile. What do you do with them? I don't have a compost pile, I, but I guess Where, I could do, do, you live, do, you, do you have a lawn? I do not. I live in a condo. Okay, do you have any houseplants? Just like succulents and little roses and things. Mm-hmm. And the the condo doesn't have any green area, no lawn or anything like that? No, most of the people own their units, so they have uh-huh. their separate areas where they get to do their planning. And no one in the condo has a compost pile? Not that I've seen, no. I should ask. If I'm in a city I mean, and I make, if I'm in a city and I make infusion, then I take the spent herb, I put it in a plastic bag, and when I come to a place city that would like it, I give it to that place. Maybe there's a tree with a little fence around it and I put it there. Or maybe there's a park and I put it in the park. Okay. Okay? Perfect. Get it back to here somehow. One of the elders that graciously uh, talked to me in New Zealand, a Maori elder, said to me, don't expect any herb to work for you if you throw it in the trash. No. And I thought that was a very poignant statement. Not that I have ever thrown an herb in the trash, but I know this. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. You are welcome, Greenland. And it looks like we just have one caller with their hand raised at this time. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1. To put your call in the queue, and the next caller is coming from the seven th- or the eight three one area code. Still okay here? Do we need to be on the road moving? Are we okay? Eventually. Hello, ladies and Susan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, I'm nervous Hi. again talking to you. Okay. Um. <laughs> all right. I'm holding my little one. They're back. The shovels and blisters and everything have resolved. Um, the issue that I'm, yay. Um, 
the issue that I'm dealing with now is um, one of my dogs had a cough that we think was maybe kennel cough or something, and I treated him with a, um, a mix of herbs tincture that I got from the store. Um, this is before I had heard about your way of doing things. And now another of my dogs, an old, my old Chihuahua, now has caught the cold. And we thought for a while he had something stuck, stuck in his throat because he kept, like, coughing as if he were something stuck in his throat. And then we found out that he had caught the very same cold that my previous dog had. And so I was treating him for the past three, four days with um, elderberry tincture in milk with his food. And uh, I didn't really see much improvement. So just today, I, I wouldn't. I would not. I would. If elderberry was on my list of herbs to relieve coughs, it would be low down. Okay. Okay. It was not a primary herb for that. And I'm a little unclear as to exactly what you're saying. So. I did not know that dogs could get human rhinoviruses. Is that what you're telling me? That the dog has a human cold? No. Um, I think what I what I think he has is something called kennel kennel cough, which is a um, a disease that's passed from dog to dog. Is it viral or bacterial? I believe it's viral, it but I could be wrong. Viral. Sounds viral to me as well. So I'm not sure that treating the cough is going to be of any use at all. Right. It sounds to me, from what you're saying, that it would be more effective um, if you use something that would be more directly antiviral. Okay. In, in general, it is said that dogs and cats especially do not do well with herbs in a tincture form. Mm. I know that Juliet of Levy, the great herbalist who spent her life with dogs, would never give a dog a tincture. I see. Now, Juliet believed that dogs in general are healthier when they do not eat every day. Hmm. He talks about the nature of the dog, and the dog, of course, is the domesticated wolf, right? Right. Do wolves eat every day? Certainly not. Absolutely not. And so she thought that the dog's health improved the closer we could get it back to its kind of original diet. And Uh basically what she did was she did not feed her dogs every day, but she would feed her dogs every other day or every third day, and she would feed them bones and raw meat. Mm-hmm. And you un- you understand that she raised award-winning dogs year after year. I'm not familiar with her, no. Juliet Jaberclay-Levy, is that? Jaberclay-Levy, L-E-V-Y, correct. 
And she has okay. the herbal. She has a book called The Herbal for the Dog. Ah, uh, yes, I've seen it on Amazon. I was very close to buying it about a month ago. I haven't yet. So I think that she would. I don't have dogs. I've never kept dogs, and so I don't have any direct experience with dogs. It's all kind of secondhand. Okay. What somebody once said to her, Juliet, why don't you write a book for people? And she said, oh, everything I've written about dogs, you can apply to people. <laughs> so that that might be a way to go, is to actually get that book. We can go. Well, we can turn around back on That's okay. okay. Does that help? Yes, very much. Thank you, Wonderful. Lady Susan. All right. Green blessings. Good night. Yes. Good night. Did okay, you say my Rebecca. name, Susan? I did yeah. say your name, Rebecca. <laughs> I wanted to let you know that we are pulling out of our parking spot, and we are going to get back on the road since there seems to be a little break here in questions. And that's just to let you know that if we get in a place where there's no signal again, you might lose me. All right. We do have uh, a couple more callers that have their hands raised, so we'll just uh, see what happens here. All right. All right. The next caller is coming from the 831 area code. What? That was the one I just did. Sorry about that. The next caller is coming from the 903 area code. Good evening, Susan and Rebecca. Hi. How are you? Enjoying the Puget Sound, Seattle Islands, having a great time out here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I was out there in June. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, (laughs) I have a quick question. Um, I have been making the elderberry tincture. Okay. And I uh, don't know what to do with the leftover elderberries. Make elderberry pie. Ah, okay. So I can I can use them in food, even though I've already made the tincture. Oh, I thought you said the leftovers. Yeah. Well, the 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 berries. After I used it to make the okay. tincture, okay. I have all the dried berries okay. left. Well, they shouldn't be dried anymore. They should be plucked because they were in the tincture. Right. Exactly. First, right. First I, of all. First of all, let me say this. I leave my elderberries in my tincture for at least 12 months. Oh, okay. I would never take the elderberries out of my tincture until the tincture was gone. Okay. Okay, I'll put them back in. I, I did the, you know, I did the, I did three months, and then I thought, okay, I need to start getting ready for fall, and so I just decanted it, and then I was like, okay, I can't throw these out. I better call and see what I can do. <laughs> right. So just put them back in your tincture. And when the tincture is okay. all used up and you just have the berries left, and that's called the mast, M-A-S-T, which is right. the plant material left after it has been used. And what I do to get the last of the tincture out of the mast is I fill my jar with boiling water. Okay. And that makes what I call tincture tea. It's not as strong as tincture, but it's a lot stronger than tea. You'll not not take it by the dropper full. 
you'll take it by like a quarter cup full. Okay, quarter cup full. Okay. Because a fair amount of alcohol in it, it is stable at room temperature, or you can refrigerate it whichever you want. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. I wouldn't and use dried mast to make a pie. I thought you mentioned okay. you had harvested a lot of fresh elderberries, made a tincture, and had some left over. Ah, I'm I'm sorry for being unclear. Yeah, I didn't have access to fresh, so I went and I, I used the dried. Yes. And, of course, this was in my mind because we were at a farm just a couple of hours ago, and there was a beautiful big elder covered in ripe berries. Oh, how wonderful. I'm, it's it's on my list to get an elderberry bush and, and to have my own, but at this time I don't. So I, I used what I could get. And, um, okay, so. Don't put to me. I'm sorry? Green blessings. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we don't have any more callers at this time. If you have a question, please press 1. And sometimes people email questions in, and you keep them for times like this. Have you any of those? Yes, there are. um, I'm going to look for one that I recently got here. Um, Hold on just one moment. Rebecca is looking through the email for a juicy question. And anybody listening who has a question, just push one and you will get right through. This little amount of time, how fabulous. I always love it when there's few questions. I feel like all is right with the world. You are really breaking up now. Um, not sure if you can even hear me. Your call just dropped. Well, that is okay because I'm having a hard time finding the questions, but it looks like we do have another caller queued up, so we'll just wait for Susan to get back on here, and then I'll take your call on the 209 area code. Um, but for now, I'm still going to continue looking for these questions that I thought that I had separated here, but of course I can't find them tonight. Just one of those nights tonight. <laughs> Here's Susan. Right. All right, Susan. Okay. Are there? Okay. We did yeah. have another person I queue up with a question, so I'll okay. put go ahead and put her through. Okay, All she's right. in the person's in the two zero nine. Hello. Are you there in the 209? 
209. It's your turn. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm here. Can you hear us? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. My question is, um, I had um, sickening of my endometrial tissue in my uterus, and so I had stopped using um, my S-Trace cream that I was using to see if that was the cause of the thickening, and three months later I had another ultrasound, and it it is... um, going back to normal but my problem is I'm having a lot of discomfort during intercourse because I'm no longer using that cream and I've tried the acidophilus and that doesn't seem to help and I've been drinking the nourishing infusions for about six months now and that doesn't seem to help anything so I'm wondering if you have any other suggestions yeah I don't know if I lost you or you lost me we can hear you now can you hear me yeah we're here yes so far, there was thickening of your endometrium. You were using S-Trace cream. You stopped. Thickening went back to normal, and you're happy about that, but you're unhappy because you need a lubricant. You've tried acidophilus, which isn't exactly a lubricant for dry vagina, but it's not for a sexual lubricant. And you've been drinking nourishing herbal infusions, and I think you said you've been thinking it for how long? Six months. Six months. Wonderful. And you're using what kind of scale? Yes. I I use a Taylor kitchen scale. A a digital scale? Yes. Yeah, kitchen digital scale. Wonderful. Excellent. Coconut oil is an excellent lubricant. As a matter of fact, I'm hearing from a great many gynecologists that they are recommending coconut oil over S-Trace cream because they find that it works better. Okay. Well, I have a five-gallon jug of that. So grab yourself a jar of nice organic coconut (laughs) oil and see if that works for you. Okay. All right. I will. Thank you. Bye. I I would also suggest, just as a suggestion for you, that before you attempt any um, intercourse, any any penetration, that you have at least one orgasm before that happens. Okay. All right. And that will also and create more internal lubrication. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye. What? Okay. Okay. Well, we no callers for now, but we will remind the callers to press one when you when somebody has a question. Um, let's go to one of these emailed in questions. It says hi, I am having oral surgery next month to remove two old mouth teeth and an abscess 
along with other work, all under sedation. I am researching all I can do before, during, and after. I have a herbal mouthwash recipe to help strengthen the gums and help with the abscess. Echinacea, plantain, propolis, and organ grapefruit. was wondering about doing something with comfrey, and should I start now or wait until after? Thank you very much. Okay, the very first thing that I would say is the sedation should be optional. In general, a local anesthetic is far better. I will say personally that I have had oral surgery without any anesthetic at all except yarrow tincture. And yarrow tincture does numb the area, it stops bleeding, and it's antibacterial and it's astringent. So the combination of stuff that you have, you have something that's antibacterial, then you have something that's astringent, right? Why not just use yarrow? I wouldn't make a combination. I would use yarrow. My dentist was a little, you know, eyebrow raised when I said, no, we're not going to do any any kind of anesthesia at all. He's used to the fact that I'm not doing anesthesia when there's drilling or anything like that. But this was like, wow, you know, I'm going to like cut you and cut your gum. And he said, you know, the real reason that I want to use the the local anesthesia is that it stops bleeding. And I said, look, the gyro will stop bleeding. And I'm putting some on right now. And I did it in the presence of the dentist. I said, and then here's the bottle. And if there's bleeding, just put some more gyro tincture on. And he did the surgery, which involves cutting my gum and getting down into the root of of the tooth to clear some stuff out from there and then sewing the gum back up. And I did that just with the numbing effect of the yarrow tincture. And he said afterwards, he said, that stopped the bleeding far better than anything I've ever seen. And there was no um, infection because yarrow is a very powerful anti-infective agent. So that's what I would say. I'm not sure about the comfrey or why would you would use the comfrey. I guess you're thinking about using it for healing. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But yarrow is a tremendous wound healer. So, again, for things going on in the mouth, my top pick is yarrow tincture made from the flowering tops of the white flowering yarrow. The cultivated yarrows that are red and yellow are not safe to use in this way. They have far more volatile oils. They're more like tansy. They're far more poisonous. So it needs to be the white yarrow, either that you're growing or that you find wild, very common plants. And it's still not too late to make yarrow tincture or to buy it and to use that to help you get through your oral surgery. I would have a very long talk with anybody who was telling me that I needed anesthesia for any reason at all because it is a super big drag on your body, nervous system, and everything. And unless we're doing major, major surgery, like cutting open your sternum and doing a bypass, it's usually full anesthesia. It's overkill. And it's done for the ease of the practitioner and not for your health. Question that, challenge that, if you feel comfortable with questioning and challenging it. Sounds good. Um, we did have a couple more callers queue up with questions here, so I'll put the next one through. 
Next call is Michael Lutz. Are you there in the 312? Hi, yes. Um, Hi. Susan, I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to speak to you. I've, um, really, my life has changed with all the nourishing herbal infusions and your teachings and everything. Um, I wanted to talk to you because I recently finally figured out that I have endometriosis. I had a scan um, that revealed I had a, a type of cyst on one of my ovaries, which I guess is common to endometriosis. So that's just what they assume is going on, and that's after many years of many symptoms. Um, so I've got my wait, wait, chickweed wait, tincture. I'd like, yeah. I'd, like to stop, I'd like to stop for just one minute. Endometriosis is the growth of endometrial tissue in places other than the endometrium. It does not cause ovarian cysts. Okay, well, this is, this is, I guess, trusting the gynecologist that the type of cyst that they found comes along commonly with endometriosis, and it seems to be, like, filled with blood. Okay. So, I don't know. And, <laughs> no, and I know it's hard to have, diagnose endometriosis. Do you have pain? I have a lot of pain during my period and then kind of like an ache periodically, like during ovulation or other parts of my cycle, and pain during intercourse for many years off and on. Um, but the, I, I have been taking chickweed tincture just thinking, okay, maybe there's something going on, and it seemed to really make me feel so much better. Um, Good. Glad to hear that. Wonderful. Yeah. And I wanted to check with you. There's a couple things I was thinking um, if Vitex is something that could be helpful. For this, and also, I remember uh, at some point you had talked to someone about motherwort can be problematic if there's endometriosis. So if I should maybe limit my take, use of motherwort. If you, take, if you take motherwort every day, it encourages blood vessel growth to the uterine area, and the last thing anybody with endometriosis needs is more blood vessels. Okay. So you can use motherwort, but not daily. Some people use motherwort daily; it's a heart time. Right. Okay. Okay, so and to, then um, in other words, to relieve menstrual pain, that would be mm-hmm. fine. Okay. Okay, great. And then, yeah, it, would Vitex be helpful at all? Um, well, you know, if I was at home, and you know, I'm not at home, I would simply reach for my copy of Down There, and right. I would open there to endometriosis. Um, I was telling my friends today that I had the very good luck to have a math teacher when I was 13 years old, and the math teacher gave us an open book test. And it was a very easy test. I didn't need to open my book. I completed the test with all the right answers and turned it in. And the next day when the test came back, I had failed the test. And I went to the teacher very upset. I said, how could you fail me? I got all the answers right. He said, you didn't open your book. I said, I didn't need to open my book. He said, you know, you're a very intelligent person, and you need your brain to make connections, not to memorize things that you can find in books. Mm. And I have followed that advice all of my life, so there's a lot of information in down there about endometriosis and a huge variety of things that that can be done. In general, what I could say from memory is that any time 
that there is bleeding. And does the endometriosis increase your menstrual bleeding? Um, you know, I'm having a hard time understanding because I only have my own experience as, like, I don't have anything to compare it to. So there's a so lot of blood. There's a lot of bleeding, but I can't really tell. There's a lot you know? of Okay, well, a lot of, yes, then you have a lot of bleeding, and that could be because of the endometriosis. And so one of the things that can help that is to eliminate all raw food from your diet. Right. So no salad, no raw fruit. Make sure that whatever fruit you're eating is either cooked or dehydrated. Right. Yeah, I I have very... uh, limited rough food if ever yep. hello are you there All right looks like her call dropped again so okay I'll just wait for her to call back in sorry about that mm, no problem Do you have do you have Susan's book down there? I do, and I'm looking at that chapter right now. I haven't found anything about yeah. Vitex specifically for endometriosis in there, so I was just wondering. Okay, yeah, I don't have that book with me right now, so I know that there's a a couple really good books out there. I forget the other the other um, book on endometriosis that. I had found her, but um, if Susan is going to call back in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hard to do a show when you're on the road. (laughs) maybe it would have been better just to not do a show tonight but Susan so funny it's really awesome that she still wants to push through and be there for everybody (laughs) yeah it's good just uh, makes it a little more complicated on my end but you're doing a great job Thank you. Let's see. I'm like, should I call her back or should I just let her call back in here? We'll try her. Spirit of the blood says, come to me in the form of a I should start singing on my voicemail. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I 
hope she finds a good place to pull over for the guest at least. <laughs> let's see. Yeah, let's see. Here she is. All right. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. We're back in four bars. Hooray. Okay, so you left off at Vitex and endometriosis. Endometriosis, exactly. And talking about down there and a variety of things um, that are talked about in down there for endometriosis, which is quite variable. And I was talking about women outgrowing it, that it is absolutely hormone dependent. And as we move into our menopausal years, endometriosis fades away. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually is there hmm, any of those, you know, the earlier streams kind of thinking about this emotionally or psychologically, anything you think I can do to understand what's going on? I don't think it's a productive pathway. Okay. I don't think that it that it's important to understand, but again, let me say that there's a huge amount of information about endometriosis in my book down there. I don't yeah. have access to that book right now because I'm in a car traveling toward a ferry. But you have access to that book. And I yes, I have it. I, I, It's an excellent and I, book, and I really appreciate you writing yeah. that and sharing that with everyone. So do I mention Vitex in there? The only mention that I found is that there's a, a formula that's Rosemary Gladstar's formula, which uses Vitex. Yeah. I see. I don't think of Vitex as something that would be helpful if someone has endometriosis. Okay. I think of Vitex as something that prevents menopause. It's useful for women who have gotten to 40 mm. and said, oh, did I forget something? I need to have a child. Whoa, okay. wait a second. I'm staring at menopause. And then I say, take Vitex, it will stave off menopause. But for you, we want to bring menopause closer. Mm. Because your endometriosis will be abated by menopause. Very rare to have endometriosis after menopause. Okay. It's that hormonally dependent. And that's why Vitex, which encourages hormones, I wouldn't off the mm. top of my head, say, oh, this is a good thing to take. Okay. Okay? Okay. In general, okay, well. in, in general, there are not cures for endometriosis besides surgical cures, which are kind of extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, what's done with women with endometriosis is control of bleeding and control of pain. Okay. All right. We do not want you to suddenly hemorrhage and wind up having a hysterectomy because of that. Mm. So please get some shepherd's first tincture and have it on hand so that if you do begin to bleed even more heavily, you'll be able to take some shepherd's first. And or if you want to try taking shepherd's first during your period when you bleed heavily, see if that slows it down for you and makes you more comfortable. Okay. Okay? Great. Great. Thank you so much. Yes, Shepherd's versus related to kale is very safe. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for your question. Green blessing. Thank you. Green blessing.
So it looks like we may have time for just this one last caller before our guest arrives, coming from the okay. 5516. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, it's so nice to be speaking with you, and I know we only have about a minute left, and this has been uh, an unusual episode, <laughs> so... I thought it might just be nice to tell you how. Lunchbox says we have six minutes. Oh, okay, great. Well, just wanted to say thank you, actually. And um, for people maybe who haven't been listening to you for as long as I have, which for me has now been like at least five or six years consistently, um, I want to say that you are an inspiration because you keep it the realest out of all the herbalists and all the people who promote herbs and talk about um, plants and, and being connected with the earth. I think that what you offer is so substantial and meaningful and I'm really grateful for what you do for everyone. So thank you so much. And if that's all I say and there's time for one more caller, that's great. <laughs> but that's all I wanted to say. That's wonderful, and thank you, because you are the one who's making my dream a reality, and my dream is that herbal medicine is reestablished as people's medicine, and that requires people like you embracing herbal medicine and bringing it into their daily life, and instead of going to the drugstore for minor health variances, going to the backyard. So thank you, because you then become a model, and the people around you see that the remedies you use are simple and safe and effective, and they're more interested. And so year by year, herbal medicine, the wise woman way, where we use simple herbs one at a time, and where we use safer herbs, we don't mix them up, we don't go for the most powerful thing. Um, This becomes more and more the way of people and Again, as I said, that's my dream. Thank you for helping make it a reality. Thank you. And I also want to add that I really appreciate, as a woman, um, your teachings of allowing or allowing ourselves to embrace our intensity. It's, you know, not being so subdued and holding back and not saying what we really feel or what we really think. There's so much substance to the way that you speak and the way that you interact with people that I really appreciate. There's this true deep intensity that I think is so necessary and so valuable today for women to hear that and feel like it's it's okay for us to do that and to be empowered by listening to you. So thank you also for that. You are welcome. Carry it on. Feed your daughter. Thank you. Strong women, may we see them, may we know them, may we Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, Susan. Good night. Let me start the introduction for Rivera Sun. And I'm sure that if she's not here already, that she will be here by the time I am done with her introduction. Rivera Sun is an author and an activist. She has written novels including The Dandelion Insurrection, which you know I'm going to ask her about. Also, a book called The Way Between and 
her most recent release, which I'm sure she's going to want to talk about, The Lost Air. And it's not A-I-R, it's H-E-I-R. So the lost person who inherits. And that's kind of interesting. I wonder if it's a mystery story. Zavera's son is a nationwide trainer in strategy for nonviolent movements. I'm not exactly clear what that is, and so I'm going to ask her about that to tell me uh, how you train people in strategy. I'm very curious about that. And interested in that. Some of you may have heard me say that I feel that my conception in 1945 um, was a conception um, from the heart of the planet Fortis, and that I was called into being Fortis and Fort Nonviolence. So I'm very curious to know what Rivera's son is doing with that. Rivera's son grew up at an organic farm in Maine, and like many children, she got far away from there as she possibly could in her adult life, and she's now in New Mexico. Although, if you go up in the mountains in New Mexico, it can be a little rain-like. It can get cold up there. I hope that Rivera's son is here with us and that we can get started. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Susan. This is Rivera. Thanks so much for being with us. Did you hear me say that I'm very curious about your book? I did. That was a one. That's maybe the best introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> you are breaking up a little bit on my end, so maybe repeat what you just said. Yes. It's about a bunch of feelings. He's not, although I'm still connected. Are you going to drop the call on me? No, we can hear you, Susan. Rivera, are you still there? I'm still here, but I'm having trouble hearing Susan. Yeah, your, your call's a little bit choppy, Susan. Are you? Let's see if we can hear you now. I guess not, but she, I think she was asking about your your book. Um, it looks like she's going to call back in, The Dandelion Insurrection. And um, do you want to just elaborate on what that title means and uh, what your book is about? Sure. So The Dandelion Insurrection is about a nonviolent movement for for change in a fictional United States just around the corner from today. At least that's how we always describe it. Um, maybe parallel reality. It's, it's dealing with uh, many of the issues we're facing. Um, and the title comes, of course, from the indomitable Danny Lyon, which has a surprising track record of showing up in nonviolent movements as a symbol of resistance and resilience. Um, you know, as a plant, it's a pretty amazing plant, and I'm sure it comes up a lot on this show in terms of the medicinal qualities that it brings to us, 
uh, its resilience in terms of where it will grow and how it will grow, um, the fact that in many ways in the U.S. it's a much blighted and um, <laughs> persecuted plant, but it, it's so beneficial. It's one of the best uh, plants in terms of early spring flowers for bees and other pollinators. And there's a, a very funny story, which is that when I was a uh, when I went back to my hometown in Maine, where I grew up, I was talking with a friend about this novel, and an old guy came up, and he was staring at my book, and he said, "You know, seeing the dandelion insurrection reminded me that when I was a child growing up in this town, we." there weren't dandelions all over the place the way that that there are now. And I have a memory of being a very small boy standing between my mother and this other woman as they argued about who got to gather the last dandelion in the field that we were in. Because in those days, in the spring, people used to gather them for the greens and for the roots. And they, they weren't really a weed. They were uh, a wild plant that people would incorporate into their spring diet. And so the the themes of the dandelion, both historically and uh, kind of symbolically, uh, weave into the kind of characteristics of this movement for change, which really embraces the principles of love, of sustainability, of uh, respect, of democracy, are trying to embody in not just the changes they're calling for, but also the way that they are working for change. So it's not a bunch of dandelions getting together. It's a dandelion as a symbol. <laughs> yes. Now, interestingly enough, dandelion has some very specific requirements for growing, and that is full sun. Mm-hmm. It won't grow in the shade. And people say, I want to get rid of the dandelion in my lawn. I say, don't mow your lawn for one year, and then mow it again, and there'll be no dandelion left. Mm-hmm. So, in Maine, in what month was dandelion being harvested? I think this probably wouldn't have been till mid-May. Um, maybe no, it could have been late April, but there's a lot of snow. May first is the official beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. Dandelion is harvested in the summer, not in the spring. Okay. It can't. Well, it can't be harvested any time. But it's it's rare that it's available in the spring because May is actually the beginning of summer. And um, the summer solstice is not the beginning of summer. May 1st is. And interestingly enough, the dandelion greens are far tastier when harvested after September. They're much better in the fall than they are in, in the early part of the year. The dandelion root contains some alkaloids, which are bitter. And those alkaloids move into the root as the light wanes in the fall so that the root becomes more medicinal and the leaves then become sweeter as the plant starts to grow in late April or early May. These alkaloids come out of the root and come into the leaves and the leaves become much more bitter. Fascinating. That's really good to know. So I strongly prefer to harvest my dandelion leaves in the fall for cooking 
And in the early part of the year, um, I basically just wait for the flowers and make dandelion wine. Nice. And they come along pretty fast. And then, of course, I make yeah, dandelion Yeah, they do. All those great recipes in the green book, healing-wise. So lots of ways to enjoy our dandelion. So the dandelion here is symbolic of a plant that grows and has a deep root and is perennial and is sunny and offers us a lot. And I often say that dandelion is the most generous of medicines because any part harvested any day of the year and prepared in any way will make a functional medicine. So yes. I, love the, I love the title. Oh, uh, I was just going to add that in the book we, we celebrate one other aspect, which we, we refer to in the novel as the uh, the, the secret power of the dandelion, which is that it it uh, spreads with the seeds, of course. But one of the ways that humans have been tying our lives in with this little plant for so long is that we have mythology about those seeds, right? We have a belief that if you can blow off all the seeds on the plant, then your wish will come true. So every child knows that the seeds of the dandelion carry your wishes out into the world. And in this movement for change, that becomes a metaphor for the the movement organizers to think about carrying the wishes of others out into the world and bearing the hopes and dreams um, as they spread the seeds of the work that they're doing. Oh, that is so wonderful. So just a progress report. We are at the ferry. I've got five bars. Yeah, so we're getting a good, clear connection. I don't know when the ferry is going. So when that happens, I might move, and we might lose the connection. So what I'd like you to do, Rivera son, is if for some reason you lose me, just carry on, talk about whatever you want to because you're here, because we want you to be here, and we want to hear from you. Hopefully, I will get to spend the whole half hour with you. We've got another 20-some-odd minutes. And I'm also interested in your new book, The Lost Air. Can you tell us about that book, please? Sure. The Lost Air is the sequel to The Way Between, and this is a series uh, written for, uh, it's intended to be able to be read by young people um, of a pretty wide age range. I've had readers who are nine years old or readers who are even younger who are reading the novels with their parents. Um, But what I discovered was that there's really no age limit to who seems to be enjoying these books. Uh, right up into people in their 90s. And the the premise is a young girl in a a fantasy world. It's not our world directly. It's an invented world. Um, Who becomes an apprentice in a mysterious path that we call the way between. And it's the way between fight and flight. So instead of running away from problems or attacking them violently, she's learning all the other possibilities for how to confront injustice, to stand up to bullies, to resolve conflicts, to navigate the the problems that she's facing, both uh, large-scale things like stopping a war that's brewing in the country that she lives in, all the way down to her personal problems of having to learn to read when she's never been taught that before. And so uh, in the first book, uh, she's an apprentice to the master in this way between. And in the second book, she goes to Mariana Capital, which is the center of the the country, and uh, she discovers that 
the injustices that she's seeing in this city involve um, lots of people being uh, trading their labor for water. And she becomes involved in the effort to end what they call the water exchange and to transform that situation. And the lost heir is a reference to the missing lost heir uh, to two thrones of these two warring nations who is discovered along the way of these books. It's a great adventure. It's really fun. And instead of the usual fare of um, violence and war that we often see in fantasy novels, uh, this is positing nonviolent alternatives, which, as you know from my bio, is something that I work a lot with in real real life and train people to do in real life. And I noticed at a certain point that, you know, the the stories that we're telling ourselves in in our fiction, our our mythologies that we're turning out, both our ancient ones like Greek mythology or African folk tales, um, and our current books and novels and movies, a lot of them are predicated on non uh, on violent. Uh, plot twist, that violence is the solution. You know, you kill the bad guy and ride off into the sunset with a girl. But that, the, that narrative isn't really helping us in a world where uh, the consequences for using violence as individuals are very high, and the alternatives that are coming out of the field of nonviolence and the peace building and conflict resolution and um, a couple other fields are really quite viable and very exciting and have all of the drama and the adventure and the epicness and the heroics that we love in stories. So my personal mission and quest is to weave those two together in entertaining and non-didactic ways. Wow, it makes me want to get those books and read them. Tell us more about your weekly nonviolence news. Sure, yeah. So um, one of the projects that I've been involved in over the years and it has matured into this wonderful endeavor called Nonviolence News where I collect 30 to 50 stories of how people are using nonviolence in our world today each week. And I gathered them into a weekly e-newsletter, and I circulate it uh, through email. And what happens is when you see all these stories coming from all over the world uh, in terms of large stories like nonviolent revolutions, all the way down to small stories of how children or youth used a, a nonviolent intervention to de-escalate a fight in the schoolyard, you start to realize that when we say this word nonviolence, it's not just some airy fairy idea. It's not some, you know, saintly ideal. It's actually a very pragmatic um, approach to resolving conflict, and that there are hundreds of ways of using it, and that they work. And so um, I've been doing it for uh, four or five months now and have collected hundreds of stories. And one of the exciting parts about it to me is that I, I run a column in it that features the victories that have been won or the success stories that have come across the news wires. And every week I have 6 to 12 of these stories, which is remarkable. It's, it's pretty astounding, and it's incredibly uplifting. 
um, if people are curious about that, they can find out more and get on the newsletter, which is free at nonviolencenews.org. That's wonderful. I still have five bars, but we are getting on the ferry. So just again, if for some reason you lose me, then I'm probably quite lost because it's a fairly long ferry ride. And I just want you and Rebecca to carry on. Um, tell me about being a trainer in strategy for nonviolent movements. I can't quite wrap my mind around what that is. Yeah. So let's let's start at the end of that sentence and work backwards to what strategy is right. and then how we train in it. So a nonviolent movement for change is a movement uh, that uses uh, tactics that do not uh, cause physical harm to individuals and, in most cases, to uh, property. Uh, that could be a very disputed point among movement activists, but we'll keep it as our definition for now. Uh, this nonviolent movements involve hundreds of tactics. Uh, they have... They happen all over the world. They've happened throughout time and history. The earliest recorded uh, strike happened in 1170 B.C. in Egypt when uh, pyramid builders went on strike to get their wages, and they actually won that strike. Uh, movements happen all the time in our world. Uh, most of us are familiar with things like the civil rights movement in the United States or Gandhi's Indian self-rule movement in India. Um, we've had current social movements like Standing Rock's uh, attempt to stop that pipeline. Uh, Black Lives Matter is largely a nonviolent movement. The Me Too movement was a nonviolent movement decrying sexual violence and harassment towards women. So these movements are happening, and uh, un they don't just arise spontaneously, and they're far more than just protesting in the streets. Uh, many of them have strategy behind what they're doing, ways that they are organizing people to remove the consent and cooperation of people from the power holders in the situation or scenario in order to achieve their demands. And this may look like workers walking out of their workplace in demand for higher wages, in which case they're denying their employer their work until they get paid what is fair. Uh, it may look like the student um, climate strikers refusing to go to school on Fridays until our governments and um, and adults take responsibility for the mess that we've made with the climate crisis and come up with tangible actions to resolve the situation that we're in. And it may look like a, a hundred other things as well. Uh, so movements succeed because they, they build campaigns that achieve specific goals that help resolve the problem. Those campaigns may use dozens of actions within the course of trying to achieve those specific goals. And all of that, ideally, is driven by a clear strategy of how we're going to accomplish this. So one of the things that I do in the world is I train people in how to think strategically about achieving those goals with nonviolent action. And I offer workshops and classes. I do uh, webinars. I do a lot of public speaking and writing on this subject. And it's a field that we actually know quite a bit about at this point. There's been a lot of um, robust research 
there's been a lot of on-the-ground application of this knowledge in countries all over the world, uh, including our own. And so when I say I train people in strategy for nonviolent movements, I don't just train people in how to take part in nonviolent direct action, but how to think about what we're doing and how to think about being successful at what we're doing. So take an example of students not going to school on Friday until the adults do something. This makes no sense at all to me. First of all, the <laughs> students going to school doesn't really change anything for the adults. And who is to say that the adults are the ones at fault? It seems to be, to me, it just seems to be a lot of emotional blaming. And I noticed that you didn't say anything about emotional harm. You said no physical harm and no harm to property, but you said nothing about no emotional harm. And I actually find that there are people who've been very badly emotionally harmed by the Me Too movement. I would agree that there there's a lot of dimensions to the how we wage struggle and how we um, heal and reconcile with one another from uh, the conflicts that we're experiencing. I would say in the case of the, the student climate strikes, um, I think, you know, for the, the students, uh, most of them are, I would say all of them actually, in this case are under 18, and they are inheriting a problem of um, the climate crisis that has been caused by our own inaction, our unwillingness to live in a sustainable manner on this planet. And what they're they're saying is that we we are failing to see the legitimacy of going along with this educational program uh, when if we don't resolve this within 12 to 20 years, we're going to inherit a world that is going to require us to have knowledge that we're not being prepared to have. And perhaps we're not even going to survive the climate crisis. So um, in, I would, in that I would, case... I would, I would... I would just so much rather these students do something proactive instead of throwing the blame on others. That seems well, very bad. Yeah, we could, we could discuss some of the other tactics that they're using when they are stepping out of school. So, some of them are to participating in uh, direct actions that are very much aimed at building out alternative systems. Some of them are specifically... Uh, asking for renewable energy grids to be implemented in different institutions or through government programs. Um, so, you know, we, we could discuss that particular campaign uh, quite in detail, but I think there's a, you know, there's a number of examples that are happening all over the world. And, the, and they're all a little different. They all take examination. And then also it's a question for us of how we want to show up in the context of movements. Some of us are very much into uh, protesting. Others of us, not so much. We're more interested in building up alternative systems. Like it sounds like a lot of your work, Susan, revolves around that very theme of of I've standing never up. I've never people at all to protest. Mm -hmm. It's the whole blame, shame, guilt thing, which I stay away from. I would much rather be pro. I think the healthcare system is a mess. I'm not going to spend any time talking about it. I'm going to say herbal medicine is people's medicine. I'm going to devote my life to that because that's a proactive choice. Right, exactly. So that's what I'm on about. 
what do you think all listeners should know about making change right now? <laughs> well, I think we just actually got into that question a little bit. Um, one is that there's a, a lot of issues going on, and we all, uh, many of us care very passionately about them, but there is no cookie-cutter stamp for how we're all going to show up to make changes. And that it's really important that we take an assessment of what are our gifts and strengths? Where do we want to show up? How do we want to organize to shift the systems that we oppose or support the systems that we uh, think are, are really worthwhile in our world? And then the, the other thing is to consider not going alone. In our culture in the U.S., we often train ourselves uh, to think individualistically, um, but people power or this nonviolent power often has its greatest strength when we decide to work collaboratively and cooperatively with one another and to think about not just organizing ourselves to take an action, but inviting uh, our friends and our coworkers and our family members to also consider taking an action um, together. And that, that could be something like uh, listening to this radio show, for example, instead of... Um, you know, programs that are trying to sell you the latest pharmaceutical drug. That that itself is a very direct action, right? Speaking of um, that, how do, how do people get in touch with you? How can they find your books, your workshops? How can they find up for nonviolent news? Yeah, so I'm very findable. I have a website, riverasun.org, and that's river with an A, and then sun like the sun overhead, uh, .com. And uh, my books can be found on there. They can also be found on any of the major online bookstores. Uh, your local bookstores can order them. And if you're a person of uh, lower economic means, then I always like to recommend that we ask our libraries to order a copy, which not only gets it for ourselves, but it gets a copy that can be shared in our communities. And Nonviolence News can be signed up for as the weekly email at nonviolencenews.org. All right, so River with an A, riverasun.com, a great way to connect with you. And then nonviolentnews.org is the way to get on to that. And I totally agree with you. Sometimes really small actions, I think, say a lot. I was at a large herbal conference, and as usual, we had name tags. There's a kind of a different thing added to the name tag, and it was the pronoun I prefer is. And someone said to me, well, gee, you only have to use a pronoun in referring to someone if they're not present. In other words, to use a pronoun, you are gossiping. <laughs> you don't look at someone and say, she want to go. You say, you want to go. You only say, she wanted to go if she's not present. And I said, you know, given what just happened in Alabama, I think, you know, the choice of pronoun is really meaningless. And in protest to what's happening in Alabama, I am cutting this off my name tag. And I got more than a third of the people at that conference in protest of what was happening in Alabama to simply cut that part off their name tag. And we knew who we were, and we saw each other, and we smiled and nodded. And we knew that the erasure of women and the denial of women's rights is far more important than any pronoun in the world. Mm. Yeah, for me, there's no – like, I try not to get into a competitive mindset around the the issues. Um, I, I've appreciated – pronouns because I'm not always clear, and it, it helps me when I'm trying to support or praise an individual, or, I mean, you, you talked about the gossiping aspect, but there's 
other context yeah. that I might talk about. Yeah, you're not going to use a pronoun when you're talking to someone. You're simply not. And she includes he. And it is inclusive. You can call anyone she, and that includes he as well as she. So we don't really need to go there at all. We just need to understand that she is the inclusive pronoun. God includes God, woman includes man. These are the inclusive words. God, he, and man are the exclusive words. We want to get rid of them and use only she, goddess, and woman to to mean everyone. Mm -hmm. How's that for inclusivity? We are coming to the very end of our time together, and I could talk to you for such a long time. I'm having a wonderful time with you, Rivera's son. Just want to remind people that you can find Rivera Sun at river with an A sun.com. And as we come close to the end of the show, I want to ask you the question what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening tonight? Mm. Well, for me, there's, um, there's a need to do some soul searching for all of us about um, how we want to show love towards our fellow human beings. I think uh, it's a question we don't ask ourselves a lot, and it's a very worthwhile one. Like, How do we want to show up in in relationship to one another? How can we show the greatest levels of compassion and interest and curiosity in their experiences and views? And how can that reflection um, of that kind of attentive love show up within our work or our creativity and the ways that we move through the world. I think we have countless opportunities for uh, reflecting upon this and then applying some of those um, the knowledge that we gain from those re- reflections in our interactions with one another. So I think that might be, that might be the way I, I frame what I'd like people to think about is, is how do we step up to our potential in that capacity as human beings, which in, in times like these, which are, can be very tumultuous, it's easy to lose sight of. That's a really wonderful, wonderful question for each of us to ask ourselves. How do I want to express love? How do I want to express my care in the world? I think that's what you're asking us to think about, yes? Yes, Absolutely. So so important. One of the things that we tell the apprentices is the golden rule does not work. Do not treat others as you want to be treated because they aren't you. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to you have to treat others as they want to be treated, and you need to actually ask them and interface with them and find out about them in order to to do that. So if we just sit by ourselves and say, "How shall I express my love?" Well, you know, it may not actually get across to others. We really have to find out from those others, how can I express my love to you? What do you see as love? Mm -hmm. Sometimes my sweetheart says something to me and I look at him and I say, I know that you love me and I know that your love is behind that remark, but i got to tell you, that remark really sets me off and it doesn't sound like love at all. (laughs) Great question. Get in touch with Rivera Sun at nonviolencenews.org or at riverasun.com. Thank you so much for being with us this evening and helping us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. I see your work so much 
as the work of women because women um, in my experience are the peacemakers. We are the ones who say, wait a second, do we really need to fight about this? So thank you so much for helping reweave this healing cloak that we can all draw around us. And Rebecca, as always, thank you for helping me with my dream of restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Rivera Sun, it's been a delight to speak with you. Green blessings and good night to everybody. And good night, yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs>